back with another episode of Bully Ball. I'm Jason Aponte, joined as always by Steph Sanchez. Steph, it's good to see you. How are you today on this Tuesday? Um, I'm good. Uh, I mean, I just finished getting cooked by you in the in the latest bracket round, so you know, could be better. But no, nah, yeah, you you deserve that. And and congrats also again on the one million views on YouTube. Love that for you. Thank you for that. And and Steph, the the whole bracket thing has been very fun. I love this idea, and a lot of people aren't necessarily taking it seriously. I think it's a it's a good way for everybody to have exposure. You and I though, it it kind of feels like. The whole idea was, I'm not voting for myself. I'm voting for Steph, right? Like, that's the type of respect that we have. I also for voted for right? you. I can't yeah, vote for exactly. myself. That's so weird. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not I definitely against can't. Jay, at least. No, right. Exactly. <laughs> I think it was the opponent, right? If it hadn't yeah. been anybody else, as somebody who wasn't as... Puzzle. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going in. So make sure you guys vote on that as I did move on. But having said that, now in the second round, oh, it's it's on. It's on. Uh, Rob Guerrero, watch your back, pal. Uh, I... I, I I'm hitting the streets. I'm, 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 I'm telling everybody. I'm sending messages. I'm shaking hands right now. It looks like, oh, that's not that bad. He made it seem like he's getting destroyed, like in this, uh, in this bracket. But it, it's not. It's a lot closer than people think. And and any moment, a wave of votes can change things. And we kind of saw mm-hmm. that. So for anybody who wants to know how the the results went, uh, check out the uh, latest episode. I believe. Of it wasn't gold standard, but it was on the podcast network. And Rob and Levin broke it down yesterday. It was really interesting. I believe one matchup actually swung within like the last hour, which is uh, goes to show you kind of how quickly things can change. But yeah, a lot of fun. Make sure you guys check that out. The link is in the description for you guys if you want to vote and keep it going. So, Steph, it's time to tell 49ers though. Free agency's here. It's about a week now in. The 49ers have seemed to. After coming out of the gates hard with uh, Javon Hargrave, and it's Javon, not not Javon. Uh, I've heard oh. him say Javon a bunch of times. We have to make sure we get that right. It's like Rihanna. Javon Hargrave. Yeah, what is it, exactly. Rihanna and uh, R- Rihanna? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm all about making sure that I get pronunciations right, and Javon Hargrave is the way that you actually pronounce it. But after Javon Hargrave, you see a bunch of what can be described as depth moves, mm-hmm. um, and... Solid moves, right? And then, you know, Clean and Farrell becomes the the latest recipient of the Chris Kosurik stimulus package. But a lot of 49er fans right now are a little bit worried because Jordan Willis is gone. Omenahue leaves. Ebukam's gone. You lose Emmanuel Mosley, which I felt was a little bit of a surprise because I thought for sure they would have been able to bring him back on a one-year deal. But, Steph, what would you say to 49ers fans that are panicked right now on Tuesday, March the 21st, about what the 49ers have done and what their plan seems to be? Yeah, I will start with the Emmanuel Mosley one because that one did, uh, you know, hurt me as well. So that that one totally makes sense. That was one I was really not just hoping, but really actually thinking that the 49ers <clears throat> would, would be able to bring him back. And, I mean, he signed a pretty, you know, cheap deal uh with the lions so i felt like the 49ers could have done that but maybe you know maybe they like lenore and what he did in the playoffs he certainly looked good there he certainly looked like someone who can start for you so you know maybe they're just ready to take that next step and it's clear also that the 49ers with some of these signings that they've made these depth signings they're looking to address some of the guys that they've lost you think about the um, I mean, they brought in Isaiah Oliver. They brought in Miles Hartsfield. I mean, both guys that can either start or 
at the very least, be depth, good depth signings. And I, I think one thing in the secondary that they're addressing is they want versatility. I think that's the the biggest thing that's sticking out to me, and that's Steve Wilkes right there. Um, as far as you know, on on the defensive line, I think there's some work to do still, um, and there's a lot of edge guys that we're going to talk about as well still available on the market um, that they can get, but you know. Javon Hargrave and uh, Clinton Farrell. I like those signings for the defensive line and there'll be more to come. Um, also, I mean, we, we got the latest news yesterday of a new offensive lineman. That one kind of took me by surprise at first. Cause it was reported as, Oh, the 49ers signed a new center. And I'm like, another center. Didn't they just sign Jake Brendel to a multi-year deal? But you know, the more you look at it, John Feliciano signed a one-year deal looks to be the new Daniel Brunskill. So that's that's my point right there, right? They're they're making signings that directly replace someone who is left in free agency. So I like these moves for these teams and these depth signings are just as important as the top level top layer um signings, I think. The two people that I felt that I really wanted back were Daniel Brunskill and Emmanuel Mosley because Daniel Brunskill affords you being able to give someone else a chance in terms of right tackle, which seems to be the only position that is in flux at this moment on the offensive line. Everything else is kind of sewn up. But I do kind of want to point back to last season with the outward panic about the right tackle position and who's going to play right tackle. Well, last year, the entire interior offensive line was either someone who was a rookie or someone who hadn't played in Brendel Banks Burford. And there was outward panic about that. And I think that actually worked itself out a little bit. So you do have to kind of trust the process and kind of, at this point, look back at history and realize that this team has done a good job when it comes to that. Feliciano does feel that Daniel Brunskill role can play guard, can play center. And and again, versatility is something that at every level, um, offense, defense, doesn't matter, the, the 49ers like, right? Fred Warner and uh, Dre, Dre Greenlaw, former safeties, converted to to linebackers, right? You love that because that's how fast they can play, they can cover. Uh, same thing for guys who can play inside, outside on the defensive line. Uh, you mentioned Oliver and Hartsfield can play safety and can play um, nickel corner. Again, offensive line all over the place. Debo does all these other things. Everybody has to kind of be flexible, and that, that's what they really like about this. So I think right now with free agency, it's a bit of just wait and see. And there's so much talent still left. There are so many impactful players still left. I think the standstill that you're kind of seeing right now in terms of free agency are that they are talented players who are fielding offers and right now are taking their time because what's the rush? The real hard deadline is probably the NFL draft. It's hard to pitch something to your fan base when you don't have pieces in place and then you go in the draft and you bring in rookies and you say, this is where we're going with that, right? So for me, it just feels like right now that this free agency, you really can't grade it feels like an incomplete because there's still so much work to do. Did you guys on the last episode, Steph, did you guys talk about uh, a certain quarterback who is now a Las Vegas Raider? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that news had happened yet. If Well, okay. yes, I think we did. Um, But, you know, I basically say anytime I'm asked about Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm like, well, I don't really care what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo. So that's kind of my commentary at this point. He shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> Mr. James Garoppolo. The only reason I ask is just because um, 
you know, I wanted to make sure that I got some words out because this is going to be the last time that I speak about Jimmy Garoppolo. Good luck, buddy. Thank you for everything. Thank you for all you've contributed. I remember what it was like before you got here. You brought juice to the organization. Uh, there was ups. There was downs. The, this team made three uh, out of four NFC championships with you, one Super Bowl. We obviously know how that ended, but I wanted to make sure I said some nice words about him because there's still people right now trashing him, and he's not a 49er at this point. wanted to make sure that I at least got those words off. Congrats in Vegas. Go tear it up. Don't get into too much trouble in Vegas, buddy. But <laughs> as far as free agency goes, I think we kind of covered it with the 49ers. You know, you return Colton McKivitz, you return Jake Brendel to Sean Gibson, you bring back T.Y. McGill. I think the Jordan Willis one was a little bit of a surprise because I just assumed that he was just going to be back for nothing, right? Like he was just going to sit there in the weeds and you were going to be able to bring him in and just have him back because I feel like 49ers – fans and the the media circle are the only ones who really speak about Jordan Willis. I, I feel like he never really gets national notoriety, but the Raiders come in and sweep swoop in and it's, it feels like the 49ers traded Jordan Willis for Clean and Farrell. And I don't know how I feel about that right now at this point, even though Jordan Willis was a rotational debt piece. Yeah, I mean, but at, at the same time, the 49ers always bring in some new guy for Chris Kosarik to, you know, develop Clinton Farrell, clearly that guy. So who's to say what Farrell's going to be in this defense, right? So we don't we don't know yet. We know that, you know, based on where he was drafted, based on, you know, his athletic profile, the ceiling is still high on him. And, and I think that's kind of where that move came from, right? And so I, I still feel good about it. I, I know, like, I would have really wanted uh, Jordan Willis back as well, and it was a surprise to see him go, but we move. We move. Absolutely. And I think, again, this kind of opens the door for Kerry Hyder to return. That's why T.Y. McGill's there. Kevin Givens returned as well. You do need to shore up that edge position. And we'll get to post-second wave free agent targets in a bit. But, Steph, I wanted to do an exercise with you, and I wanted to kind of take a look around the NFC at this point in terms of who's improved, who hasn't. And I'm going to start with this. I really, at the beginning of the first week, looked around the NFC and said, well, everyone is just getting weaker. Everyone. You know, the Eagles had, I believe it was five of their nine defensive players who played at least 500 snaps are on other teams now. The Packers, Aaron Rodgers is on the roster, but it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be a Jet. Alan Lazard is gone from there, so the Packers are out of it. Then you kind of hear that the Vikings are in a bit of a, a fire sale mode right? Um, Harrison Smith is gone. Eric Kendricks leaves. Dalvin Tomlinson leaves. There's even rumors that Dalvin Cook might be on the move. And then you kind of look around and you're just like, oh, Dallas is Dallas. The Giants, cool. They brought back Daniel Jones. They brought back Saquon Barkley. But right now, there feels like when I actually dove into the NFC, a lot of teams have improved. Now, before I say anything else, I want to say this. The gap is closing, but the 49ers still seem to be at the top, even if you're not happy with what they've done so far in free agency. Would you say that's fair stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I feel. And th and that's why I think this whole, uh, did the 49ers get better this offseason, one, is premature, but also I think it's all relative to where they still fit in the NFC, which is still, let's be honest, at, at the top of the NFC, right? So I think we got to start looking at it that way. Yes, some teams have improved. I mean, the Seahawks have improved. 
Uh, the Lions have improved, uh, you know, just the few of the teams at the top of my head that I'm thinking that are probably going to take a, a further step in, in this season, at least on paper, right? We also got to take that into account. A lot of teams look great on paper in the offseason, and then the season starts and things happen. But the Seahawks, Lions, I like what they're doing. I like what they're building. I think they're going to be good this year. So, you know, but I think the 49ers still in that conversation, clearly, to be one of the top teams. So let's start looking at it that way. Let's start being a little bit more positive. And the draft hasn't even happened yet. So let's 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 look at it that angle. Absolutely. And Detroit is going to be a sexy pick for everybody, like uh, in the NFC mm-hmm. right now, right? Their offense was great last year. Amon Ross St. Brown and Jamison Williams are going to be back. I mean, and, and Jamison Williams is going to be a full goal. He's somebody I loved in the draft. Sure, they lose Jamal Williams, but they add David Montgomery, Montgomery and Swift. They add Emmanuel Mosley. They add Cam Sutton, CJ Gardner-Johnson. They have Kirby Joseph. They have Jeff Okuda. They obviously have Aiden Hutchinson. They have Panay Sewell. They have a, a bevy of talent over there in Detroit. They're a very fun team, fun story, absolutely. But again, they're still a little ways off from competing. And again, this is all on paper. The Lions are going to be everybody's sexy pick right now to run away with the NFC North and be a team that everybody's going to make noise. You can book that. Seattle did improve. And the scariest part about Seattle is you get Draymond Jones. you bringing back Jerron Reed. You have a top five pick, and you can add Jalen Carter somehow to this team. You bring in Julian Love to play free safety. You're getting Jamal Adams back, no matter what you think as a 49er fan about Jamal Adams. Seattle's taking a step forward. Now, having said that, Seattle's taking a step forward, and they're still behind the 49ers, and we still don't know who the week one starter is going to be at this point. I think, again, it speaks to the top of the roster and and how good they are. Now, the team that nobody's going to want to hear this for, but I have to talk about, the team that... It's starting to scare me now because they're doing things that are outside of their normal practices is the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. And what I mean by that is low risk, high reward moves. You trade a fifth round comp pick for Stephon Gilmore, who at age 32 is still one of the better man cover corners in the league. You trade a fifth and sixth round pick for next year for Brandon Cooks, who is one of the most steady and reliable, almost set your watch to aside from last year. 1,000-yard receivers? What are they doing over there? Stephen Jones, this isn't like you. Jerry Jones, this isn't like you to make shrewd moves like this. Dallas is the team that is taking the quickest step forward, and they still have their draft picks as well. Has Dallas turned the corner with what they're doing? Because those moves right there scream shrewd, general manager, front office moves. That is not the Dallas Cowboys' M.O. What the Dallas Cowboys M.O. with Brandon Cooks would have been, send a first-round pick for him. A fifth and a sixth? My goodness. I'm Now I'm starting to get worried. But I think what 49er fans and what you know most football fans are going to hang their hat on is still Dallas. When it matters, they're still going to fold. It's still Mike McCarthy. Still same old card, uh, Cowboys. But Steph, I got to be honest with you, man. I don't like what I'm seeing so far because this is signaling a change in Dallas and the way they're building rosters. Yeah, I mean, I agree that, and and that's one team. I'm glad you brought them up because, like, I I kind of forgot about them. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the moves that they're making. They're definitely going to be in the conversation as well. I mean, you think about the fact that we're we've talked about the Eagles taking a step back a little bit, and so now it's looking like the Cowboys probably they can run that division and that's probably what they're seeing, right? That they have that opportunity to, you know, potentially maybe be the one seed. 
or at the very least, you know, win that division. So, yeah, they're definitely going to be a problem. Um, but, you know, what happens in the playoffs, that's so long from now. I can't I can't make any predictions as to what's going to happen then for both teams. So we'll, we'll just take it day by day. But, again, as I always say, some teams on paper, they look good, and then the season starts, and, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, they're definitely making some good moves on paper for sure. There's so many things during the season that can change your team's course. Injuries, players have a dip in production. All of those things are things that unfortunately are a part of the game. So that's why it's a fun exercise right now to look at the Cowboys and say, man, they're good on paper. How many times have we heard that, though, about the Cowboys? But still, I, I think it's less about them being good on paper. But the route that they took to land these two players is the part that kind of scares me now. It's because... Are you starting to figure it out finally as opposed to just overpaying for guys and just making dumb moves? So, yeah, uh, that's scary. So, look, I think Philly's taking a step back. I don't think anybody can argue any differently at that point. Dallas is taking a step forward. The Giants kind of feel like a team where you have Daniel Jones back, you bring back Saquon Barkley, you bring in Paris Campbell, you kind of fill a need at linebacker. They still have their draft picks. So I would say right now they're even. Right. Like they're even I could I could hear the argument that they've improved. You know, you bring back Sterling Shepard, you bring back Darius Slayton, you add him, that back in with Wandale Robinson. Darren Waller is, is is over there. So, yeah, I think there's an argument for the Giants improving, but the Giants aren't going to compete with the with the Niners. Right. Like they're improved. They were a playoff team, but they're not they're not improved to the point where you get nervous. The Minnesota Vikings, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks, Dalvin Tomlinson, all gone. But you bring in Marcus Davenport and Byron Murphy, and if you can address wide receiver two in the draft, it's really now about what do you think of this team and how they round it out. So right now, they get a kind of incomplete. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily better, but I can hear that argument. The New Orleans Saints replace their quarterback, and that can vastly upgrade your team, even if you lose defensive players, right? So I think instant upgrade is Derek Carr over Andy Dalton. I don't think anybody can argue that. Michael Tomlinson can get on the field. Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas can get on the field with Chris Olave. That's a duo. Jamal Williams is over there. They do have the upcoming Alvin Kamara saga in terms of what's going to happen with him. League suspension. They lost Onyemata. They lost Davenport. So when you look around, it's like, okay, this, this NFC is kind of still the 49ers. While people are closing the gap, while people's, people are improving, it's still the 49ers conference in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. And in some teams that you didn't mention, I mean, the NFC North is is going to look vastly different. I think this year, one with Aaron Rodgers presumably, um, you know, leaving for the Jets. That's still on hold. We're still holding our breath. And I'm not, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm so tired of this uh, Aaron Rodgers talk, man. But uh, yeah. you know that. But if he leaves, like that division looks so different, and you know. Yes, the the Lions, we talked about them. They're going to be in the conversation for sure. The Bears, I think, they I like the moves the Bears are making, you know? Mm -hmm. Like these last few years, they've been making some nice moves. I mean, they, they added some linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards, uh, Demarcus Walker, um, you know? So Robert Tunyon, they, they added him as well, DJ Moore in that trade. So I like the moves that they're making. I think they're still, like, maybe another year away to really yep. like get to that level but i i like what they're doing and i'm excited to see some change in that division because it's been the packers for like however long and 
you know, I, I'm just ready for some new blood in the NFC. I like that. I like parody and I, I like, you know, seeing underdogs, you know, start to get their, their due in the league. At the end of the day, I love seeing the 49ers at the top, though. And I think that's the point of all of this and this exercise, right? Another team that's improved themselves vastly, the Atlanta Falcons, they're still a little bit away as well, too. So, again, it's it's when people talk about Super Bowl window. Well, you've got two or three years. Yeah, the league catches up to you very fast. One draft class can change everything. Look at Seattle. I mean, they landed bookend tackles. They they landed Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant and, and Kenneth Walker. If they smash this draft again and they get Jalen Carter, you're talking about this gap is closing. So I guess the point of this is to say the gap is closing. The 49ers are still running it, it feels like, in terms of roster, and their only real competition is health. But this is why you can't just rely on football window, Super Bowl window. Here we go. We're going to be in this for because the league catches up fast and it's happening faster and faster. This is a league of parity. There's always teams that go from worst to first. And when shakeups happen, it, it changes the dynamic of everything. So I think this exercise is to tell you, yes, while you may be a little bit, I guess, underwhelmed so far with the lack of big names the 49ers have brought in. Remember that they're still so top-heavy, and they're still the best roster probably right now in the NFC, top to bottom, with moves to make and the draft still, but the gap is closing. I think that's the best way we can put it. Yeah, and that's that's fair. Um, but, I yeah, to your point, I think that's why the 49ers, this is their window, right? And, and they have to go all in at some point. At some point, you're going to need to go all in. I think that J- Javon Hargrave signing kind of indicates that they know they need to make some splash signing. They did it. Uh, and, and yeah, maybe they're not done. I, I don't know. Because, like, after June 1st, too, there's going to be more cap casualties. There's going to be more cuts. There's going to be guys available. So there's still time. There's time for everyone to to get better this offseason. So hopefully the 49ers will will make more steps. But as I mentioned, you know, the depth signings are important too, especially for the teams that are trying to go to the playoffs. Those depth signings are very important, especially for a team that's always as hurt as often as the 49ers. Those depth signings are important. Those versatile depth signings, positional um what is it called? Positional versatility is important. Uh, so it seems like the 49ers know this and they're they're addressing it. So I've, I've been happy with the moves. Absolutely. And to, to pivot away, and we'll be back with more free agency stuff in the, later in the episode. But to kind of pivot away to another topic, Steph, you know, when I faced off with you in this March Madness bracket, here's how I looked at it. Steph is like this team that has just gotten hot at the right time, and you just don't want to face them, right, at this point. And make sure you guys vote. The link is in the description. It, it, it just It's like that team that just put it all together at the end, right? And, and what I mean by that is Lions. You, you've been crushing it with the content, the combine, senior bowl. You know, you have, you have everybody updated with your, your visits on the tracker. You, you've been doing college prospect interviews on your channel, and, and you've just been – on this upward trend. And it's been so fun to see. That's why I was like, man, this draw is hard because I feel like this is the team that just caught fire in this season. And right now is out of the way, but you landed an interview with Stefania Bell of ESPN, which is something that you kind of manifested and wanted to happen. Tell me some of, tell me some of the things that you feel stood out to you when you were able to interview her. Yeah. For one, she's, she's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it is Big the first, fans. first thing that stood out to me. She's re- really cool, very personable, very friendly. And yeah, when she got talking about the, the Niners and I started asking her about like, who's your favorite player and all that, man, she could go on and on. 
But, you know, of course, we we touched on the injuries that the 49ers have, in particular to their quarterbacks, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance. So um, she went so in-depth and, and gave such good insight into, you know, those the timeline, the recovery, and, and all that. And if you guys haven't checked it out yet, you know, please make sure you do. And I'm not just saying that, you know, to, to get more views, but because it was so informative that um, I, I think I, I came away uh, with a, a lot more knowledge on the situation. Now, for one, you know, I think some of the things that stood out to me, she wanted to say that, you know, not providing a timeline or like a, a very definitive timeline for Brock Purdy is smart. It takes pressure off of the player. So I came away, you know, feeling okay that, yes, we know the three-month timeline, but beyond that, 49ers say a typical six months, but all, always leaving room, you know, for the player. Anything can happen. Also, another thing that I asked her was, how does this injury how would it affect a baseball player versus a football player? Two very different sports, right? She actually, and, and I was thinking that for a football player, because of the physical nature of the sport, that, oh, it, it would be much worse. But actually, when you think about how a baseball player has to grip the ball, it's such a small ball, it puts a lot of stress on the elbow. So actually, it's a lot tougher for them, how they grip the baseball, the volume of pitches as well. You're you're pitching, you're throwing the ball a hundred times, maybe in a day. Right. So that's different as well. So in that sense, baseball players, it might be a little tougher for them as for the physical nature of football. If he were to have that elbow hit in a similar way, um, the same mechanism, it can make way for, you know, re-injury, but that's always the case, right? Like anytime that you're going to get your elbow hit that same way, any quarterback is under the same risk, right? So it's not so much that he's in, you know, extra risk. Uh, but, you know, aside from him just, like, getting that elbow hurt or just, like, falling on it, I don't think there's any uh, extra worry about that. It's more so just the mechanism in which, you know, having that elbow bent back would be the worry. As for Trey Lance, for someone who is mobile, agile, it's harder to get back after the type of injury that he had. You run the risk of that ankle getting stiff, you know, losing mobility. She said it's not impossible to get it back, you know, but it is harder, she said. So she also acknowledged that with Trey Lance, we're trying to compare what he'll be post-injury to what we expected he could be, right? Because it was such a small sample size. We really haven't gotten the chance to see what he is. So um, she said it, it is harder to gauge uh, with Trey Lance what he'll look like, uh, you know, post-surgery. Uh, the one thing that stood out the most, and I, I know that Rob has a clip for us. For me, she said, return to play does not mean return to performance. And I'll let Rob roll the clip because she explains it much better than I can. Even in rehab programs, you look at sort of what what's the big goal is uh, return to play. And return yeah. to play um is not return to performance. So the real goal is return to performance, is returning to play at your pre-injury level. That's always the ultimate goal. So return to play doesn't necessarily mean that. But as you know, when you're quarterback, you really don't get a long window of return to play and return to performance. So you want to be coming back when you're actually at that point where you can be at or near your pre-injury performance level. And sometimes that part takes a little longer because 
it's not just getting through the injury, it's getting confident mentally in, in the recovery from that, et cetera, et cetera. So basically what I, what I took from that was, yeah, he could be ready to return to play by week one. That's a possibility, right? But return to performance may come after, right? And that's what the 49ers, that's what Brock Purdy should be aiming for, return to performance. And with the addition of, you know, Sam Darnold, you know, they, now they have Trey and Darnold, they don't necessarily need to rush Brock Purdy back, right? So the question is, how much longer after those six months is he going to return to performance? That's always been my contention with this. And by the way, great work. I mean, this this is something that you've always wanted to have happen. Stefania Bell, big 49ers fan, big, uh, you know, great analyst, you know, over there at ESPN when it comes to the injuries as well, too. This has always been my contention with the Brock Purdy thing. Everybody's just counting. And they said, oh, well, six months and this is when he'll be ready. Why is everybody just automatically assuming that everything is going to go well? Do, do things seem to go well when it comes to 49ers injuries? Is that Do we live in a perfect world? No. Hope for the best, but brace for the worst. And, you know, it, it could very well be that way. But I think that's always been my contention when it comes to all of this about why does everybody just assume that, oh, well, he's going to have the six-month mark and everything's going to be great and, and we're going to have rainbows and sunshine? Sorry, I don't want to be negative, but I'm just trying to be realistic. There's always been a chance that something like this could happen. There's always been a chance that he may not be ready right away, and that's why you have to insulate yourself with a quarterback. And, and I think that's great insight from somebody who actually knows, right? Like, that's not me speculating. I'm not a doctor. I'm just somebody who is jaded a little bit and, and is bracing for the worst. So... That's always kind of been my thing when it comes to this injury. It's just everybody's counting, well, this is six months away, and he'll just be ready to roll. You hope. You mm -hmm. hope. And we don't live in a perfect world at all. But, again, as always, Steph, great stuff. Anything else that you had um, from, from the interview that stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just the expectations, I think, need to be kind of brought down a notch a little bit because I was I was part of the people who were like okay six months that's that's like September you know this and you know he's gonna be ready right after that he'll be ready by week one like I that was me and I know that's still a lot of people out there so I think having this at the back of our minds that okay he might not be ready to go week one and that is okay that is okay. There's no reason to rush him back. You know what I mean? So I think just hearing it, hearing it from her and, and her perspective on it, I think gave me a new perspective on the injury. And also, you know, I know we always look at setbacks or we look at, oh, if a player's not ready by this time, it's a, it's a terrible thing, but like it, it's, that's just the way things are. It's not always a setback. It's just that everyone, everyone's body is different and how they handle um, injuries and, and how they handle rehab is different. So if there's any scenario in which, you know, he starts throwing and, you know, gets a little sore, maybe he wants to reel it back for like a week, you know, maybe rest that arm, you know, <clears throat> they, all those things can add time to the timeline, but at the same time, it's not always a bad thing like those are the things that's good for the player that need to happen to get back to that return to performance so yeah I, th I think it was a very insightful um talk and you know I, I really came away feeling good about the situation because another thing I asked her is Brock Purdy gonna lose any power on the arm any strength she she shut that down so quickly 
that she was like, no, before I even finished asking my question, I was like, okay, cool. So we good. Uh, so no, there's no worries about that. Um, and, and I thought that was great to hear as well. I love this powerful information. And when you're informed, you're able to navigate and give the best takes. This was great stuff as usual, Steph. Excellent work. But I wouldn't be doing my job as a 49ers podcaster if I didn't ask you about the 49ers quarterback position because I wasn't able to be on the last show. Sam Darnold's here. Is Sam Darnold here as a QB3 or is he here to compete, Steph? I think if you ask Sam Darnold, he would tell you he's here to compete, right? And certainly the contract that he signed would indicate that as well. He wanted all those things, on, or his agent and him wanted all those things on the contract for a reason. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't know if the intention from the 49ers side was to have him compete. I mean, I don't think they say it all the time. If we can have competition at every position, like that's ideal. Cause like you, you light a fire under certain people and you know, lo and behold, they, they get a little bit better. So I don't know if maybe they're hoping as well, not just to insulate the quarterback room, but also to maybe push Trey Lance a little bit. Not that I think he needs to be pushed because quite frankly, he's been pushed hard enough in, in his short career. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for him to have someone behind him. Also, they needed someone else, so, you know, you have that. But the fact that they didn't bring in someone like an Andy Dalton, which I think, you know, he was available as well, um, you know, I think it tells you that they don't want someone who is going to automatically, like, take over Trey Lance's spot, right? It's still Trey Lance's spot as we know it right now. But it's just enough to push Trey Lance just a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I see it that way. If you want to call it a competition, fine. I But I'm not really calling it that right now. Hmm. This is one of those few times, Steph, where I'm going to say I disagree, Steph. You and I, I we, re- we, re- we rarely disagree. I love it. This is such a Kyle move. Kyle loves Sam Darnold. Yes, loves him. Like, let's not forget. Thank you, New York Jets, for exercising caution and not saying yes to the 49ers offering a first-round pick for Sam Darnold. And they said no. The Jets said no. And thank you, New York Jets, for that. Appreciate you. Because the 49ers were fully ready to do that. This is two things. It's Kyle getting a guy that he loves, finally getting him for a nice price point. And it's also seeing if he can mold him and turn him into sort of this Geno Smith project with Seattle. Now, both of those things can be true, but here, I'm ready to stamp a flag right now on March 21st. This is Trey Lance's job, and Trey Lance is going to start in week one. If Trey Lance is what I think he is, if Trey Lance is what many people think he is, if Trey Lance is the guy that the 49ers moved heaven and earth to get at the third pick, then Trey Lance will be starting week one. Give me Trey Lance week one. Sam Darnold is here. And the only thing that can really worry you if you're a Trey Lance enthusiast, I mean, aside from being a 49ers fan, which you should be, and you should be rooting for whoever it is that's the quarterback. Let's just make sure we say that. This offense is geared to quarterbacks. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Nick Mullins, CJ Beathard, Jimmy Garoppolo. It could be Jerick McKinnon. It could be Christian McCaffrey. Guys are going to be running wide open. And if Sam Darnold can hit guys in stride because we know he has the arm and he has the tools, he's going to look a lot better than he's ever looked. So for me, yes, I think this is a little bit more of a competition than people are understanding. But also, yes, this is Trey Lance's job, and he is going to win it in camp. But if you do have a worry that Trey Lance won't win it, 
it's because of the offense, Kyle, putting guys wide open, having guys run wide open, which is what always happens. Doesn't matter the quarterback. Still, it's time for me to get a little spicy and let you know this is still Trey Lance's job. This is just Kyle getting one of his guys. Yeah, but, but you know, I think the worry is that when Kyle gets one of his guys, it's almost like his his judgment is like a little clouded because he mm-hmm. becomes biased towards, um, you know, certain guys who are his guys. <laughs> um, right. And despite, despite Trey Lance being the pick at three, who we all have heard was Trey Lance's pick, Trey Lance's guy, it just has not felt like that's his guy you know what i mean so i he has that going against him trey lance does um but you know i i agree with you in the sense that i think that trey lance will be the starter in week one and should sam darnold get an opportunity to start some down sometime down the line he'll get that opportunity we'll see what happens but yeah i'm i'm expecting Trey Lance to start week one it, it would be such a bad look if if he wasn't and one more thing before we move on I think a lot of people have such short memories let me take you back to last season with Trey Lance and how he started the season week one there was some throws in there that were great obviously it rained in the fourth quarter the 49ers lose to Chicago and everyone starts to get a little worried you move on to week two and I think people forget the first two drives against Seattle The 49ers move the ball right down the field. They end up kicking a field goal on the first drive. You know, the drive stalls out. And then the second drive, they're in the red zone again. And unfortunately, Trey Lance breaks his ankle. So for so many people that are just like, well, you saw, you saw what it looked like. What did you see? What did you see? You saw four quarters and two drives. And those two drives in Seattle, they were moving the ball. Why do people make it seem like Trey, when running that team in week two, was going three and out. That's the funny part to me. That's a little bit lost in this whole conversation. And I think the narrative now around like, well, Trey was awful. Oh my God, did you watch him? What were you watching? I don't know that I say awful. And where did this come from? But either way, this is the first of many discussions. Training camp's going to be a movie. And it would not be a 49ers offseason if we were not discussing the quarterback position. All this means right now when we're talking about Trey Lance and Sam Darnold is, Whoever wins this now, when when Brock Purdy is returned to performance, thank you, Stefani Bell, for that. Can you turn it back over to Purdy? Will you turn it back over to Purdy? And have, have, has either of these guys done enough to make that difficult decision? We're going to find that out. But let's turn it back to free agency again, Steph. Kind of went free agency, Stefania, quarterback, then we're going back to free agency. So as we talked about, there's a, there's a bevy of talent out there right now. A lot of talented football players, guys who have contributed year after year, who are going to see good contracts and and should should because based on their performance. Who are some post-second wave free agents kind of just laying in the weeds that are there for you at certain positions that you have identified for the 49ers? I mean, obviously, Robbie Gold. (laughs) Did did Rob tell you to say that? (laughs) No, no. I mean, but it's lightweight true. And I, okay, it's a joke that I started with that, but it's not a joke that I do mean Mm -hmm. that. Um, Just because, you know, at first I was thinking Robbie Gold was not coming back at all, you know, 
I thought he was going to have a market. It's been so quiet for kickers. There was that like kind of first wave, um, maybe even some guys that didn't uh, deserve to come back. I think like the the Arizona kicker, he, they resigned him worse than Robbie Gold. But, um, you know, I, I think he's still out there. So I, I think he it might be one of those situations like when Jimmy Garoppolo was still out there and you, you're just like, you want to do it right again? Back. All right. You know, yeah. So Robbie Gold, definitely he has the option to come back if he so wishes. Uh, that's always a question, right? I'm sure the 49ers would have him back at a certain price, but it, it depends on the player as well. But I, I'm still keeping my eye on that one. I feel like that could happen. Now, uh, we've talked about edge rushers, right? The 49ers need more depth. Edge rushers, I, I expect them to bring in uh, a veteran as well. So some of the guys I'm looking I, I know some some have mentioned Ben uh, Banogu uh, out of the Colts um, as an option. I haven't seen much of him. I've just seen people mention him. Uh, so that's one. O'Shane Zemines. Uh, how do you say it? Zemines? Zemines? Yeah. It's an X. It's an X. So I don't know. That's how you say it. That's how you pronounce X's, right? With with the Z. <laughs> so, I believe so. Okay. Right? X, Xavier. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, sorry. yeah. I, th- I think so. So out of, out of the Giants, he's one guy. Because, like, um, you know, just, just a lower end guy that they can bring in. Yannick, uh, also out of the Colts, someone they could bring in. I'm not going to take the guy I know you're going to say. I, I know that's coming and yeah, that there's, there's some good names here that I think they can, they can look at. I would be happy with a lot of these guys. So I think that they have options and because the market has been moving so slowly, I think they're going to end up with one of them. Um, at that point, I'm really just looking at edge rushers. Like what else do they really need after that? Right. They, they brought back Dwelly. So they don't, I don't think they're going to bring in any like tight ends. Um, maybe, maybe some extra guy, but I do expect them to draft one still pretty high. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. I think that's it. Like just edge rushers, bring in a couple, maybe another defensive lineman, interior guy. So, look, this is going to come off facetious and me acting like it's a joke, but I would love Robbie Gold to come back for two reasons. One, we can stop discussing kicker and everybody can just be happy because Robbie Gold is nails in the postseason. And and Rob brings up a good point that he said on the show that, that he joined. Um, everybody hates kickers until they blow a game for you. And if Robbie's just going to continue to be steady in the postseason, then fine. The other reason that I want Robbie go back is because I want people to stop discussing the idea of blowing draft capital on a kicker. If you look at the kickers in this league, none of them have been drafted. And when you do draft kickers, it doesn't go well. Roberto Aguayo, right? Like guys like that. There's there's a large sample size of kickers who have been drafted who have never done anything. And this idea of drafting a young franchise kicker is nonsense. So bring back Robbie Gold, run it back, he's solid, and please stop telling me that you want to waste valuable draft capital on a damn kicker, okay? We can get that out of the way. One more thing about this Robbie Gold thing that I think is important to point out is, honestly, how many teams don't have a kicker at this point? So what is his market? Chicago didn't bring back Eddie Pinheiro. He's somebody who I would be fine with because he kicks the ball out of the end zone on touchbacks. But would a a Bears reuniting be be there it's just there's not many places for him to go i think the, there's only three teams it's the bears the niners and the rams that don't have a kicker everyone has their kicker 
Greg Zerline's back with the Jets. Jason Myers isn't going anywhere. Justin Tucker's the GOAT. Like, everybody has their kickers. So, again, his market might not be developing because there's not many landing spots. Not many people are just going to cut their kicker and say the last piece is our kicker. This is what we need, right? Like, the Colts paid Matt Gay, but nobody's going to cut their kicker and say, let's bring in a more expensive kicker if you're just a middling team or a team that is not competing. So I think that's what he's kind of finding out while he's out there. It's a little bit cold in these streets for the kickers, and it has nothing to do with my kicker narrative at all. You know, for a guy who who doesn't like talking about kickers, you just talked about kickers for an awful And it's so in-depth. I can't believe it. Um, (laughs) Ross Dwelly, I think, is going to have a tough time making this team, and I definitely agree with you, Steph, that it's going to be somebody in the draft, right? I have my eyes on Will Mallory. I love Zach Kuntz. I think Sam Laporte is for the streets now. It's a little bit too far gone. They're not going to be able to get there. Yeah, he's for the streets. He's not not for the 49ers anymore. He's He's out of their range right now at this point. So, but I love those two guys, um, Kuntz or Mallory. All three of those guys were the three fastest guys at the combine. I think the 49ers need to bring in a tight end who can actually catch the football. And for everybody who says, well, the 49ers don't bring in people, tight ends that block or that, that can't block. Yeah. Explain Ross Dwelly. And, <laughs> and, for, and for people that say, well, you have to develop and do everything. Yeah. Explain Charlie Warner. Just a blocker who can't catch. Like, I just, I just, the narratives that I hear all the time on Twitter, it's just ridiculous. It's like, guys, let's look at, like, like let's look at this straight. Ross Dwelly can't block. Charlie Warner can't catch. It's time to just bring in a guy who can catch and can't block and who is very fast. And those three guys fit the mold. Edge, obviously, you know where I'm going. Yeah. I'm on a Justin Houston train. Justin Houston went from being an every down guy in 2021 with the, with the Ravens, had a solid season. I think it was six sacks and like 16 pressures. Well, when he became a situational pass rusher, 11 sacks and 24 pressures. Funny how that works. If the 49ers are trying to duplicate what they did in 2019, then you need Justin Houston to fill in for one year as the D Ford replacement with with Drake Jackson rotating in and getting his snaps as well, too. But if you're talking about straight up, go get the quarterback, Justin Houston. One year, $3.5 million. I love it. He's going to be ring chasing. And I do think there's one more area that the 49ers can actually add somebody. But I don't think this person would be interested in the role. This is just me speaking out loud. It's cornerback. Now, Diamond Lenore, Mooney Ward. I think we can pencil them in as starters. I think we can pen them in as starters. Isaiah Oliver, Samuel Womack. Okay, we'll see what happens at nickel corner. I'm probably going to give the nod to Oliver because he's much better in run defense unless Samuel Womack takes a step. But let's look at the depth on the outside corners after Mooney and Lenore. Doesn't feel good. Does not feel good. Samuel Womack, when pressed into duty last year outside, did not look good. Ambry Thomas is, is an afterthought. I do not want to see Ambry Thomas play football, unfortunately. So who do you go to? When it comes to second wave free agents and it comes to this time, it's got to be guys who need one year, are ring chasing, maybe a little bit past their, their time where they don't have to be as expensive. And I got a name for you, a corner. Marcus Peters. Now, the only question I have about Marcus Peters is, does Marcus Peters view himself as a starter? Do other teams view Marcus Peters as a starter? And I think the answer to both of those is yes. And then the answer is no to this one. Would he be a backup? But I would love him as depth, somebody who is a ball hawk. Sure, it takes chances. That's what happens. You have interceptions or you have touchdowns, but the experience is valuable. If Marcus Peters was pressed into duty, I'd feel much better about that than Josh Norman, than Drafe. Draker Patrick at times. This feels like a move that they can make and they can have, but it, it, it all boils down to Marcus Peters. But I do think they need to address the corner 
outside corner position one more time if they don't just do it in the draft. That's fine if they if they want to have depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned him as someone who is ring chasing, but also, you know, would would be fine to just like latch on to a team to do that, right? To ring chase. Does he see himself like as that guy right now, or does he kind of still view himself as you know being at the top of his game and you know being this coveted guy? <clears throat> I don't know. That's the question. I will mention one other guy, and then we got to get out of here, but. For the tight end, a guy who can do both blocking and catching, Irv Smith Jr., who's still out oh, there. Oh, baby. Talk to me. I love this one. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I think that would be a great option for them. The reason I didn't mention it before is just because, like, I, I don't know what his price is, but he's still available. He's still out there. It seems like the tight end market, the free agency market, has just been so slow that, I mean, we just barely saw Dalton Schultz get signed yesterday, and I, he was the top um, tight end free agent out there. Um so I don't know. I, I don't know what Irv Smith's uh, market is, what his price would be. But if it's at a reasonable price that makes sense for the 49ers, I say bring him in. He can do both. I love that because I'm such a big Irv Smith guy. I just feel like he never really got his opportunity. Then he got pushed out the door with uh, with TJ Hawkinson uh, joining the the Vikings. So I love that. And a little bit to your your point about the tight end market, right? Dalton Schultz just signed. The Raiders are taking a chance on O.J. Howard, who's another one of my drive crushes that never really panned out. Darren Waller gets moved. It's not really moving. So, yeah, I, oh, man, that Irv Smith one. Don't, don't make me get the agenda started. I, I will get that agenda rolling right now. I will absolutely get that agenda rolling because he does have so much more upside than Ross Dwelly. Great call, Steph. Look at you. Um, Steph, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everybody for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the Gold Standard Podcast Network wherever you get your audio podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the Gold Standard Podcast YouTube Network. Make sure you go vote in the 49ers Media Madness Bracket. Rob is way closer than I thought he was, man. He made it seem like I'm just blowing him out like 75-25. I need, I need votes. I need votes. Vote for me. Vote for me. I'm campaigning. Um, make sure you follow Steph at Steph49K on Twitter. Make sure you follow me at Jason Aponte2103. Steph, thank you so much for Steph, for Jay. We're out of here. Peace. Peace.